you know you have a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. The Restory Show, Season 4, Episode 13. Today's podcast is brought to you by two things. As I mentioned last week, Jesus Every Day is my uh, 365, actually 366 for leap year, day devotional where you go through the entire Bible and I help you pray through the whole Bible. This book came about because of you, actually, my my mailing list folks. It's been my tradition over the past several years to pray with them. And I asked the question, do you mind if I pray for you, which I also do on this podcast. And so I had so many people asking for me to compile a book of the prayers that I've been praying for you that I decided to do it. And so it took me several years to get this published. Uh, publishers were reticent, and I found an amazing publisher, and it released December 1st. So I would love for you to pick up a copy of Jesus every day. It'd be a great gift to give folks. Also, this podcast is brought to you by Patreon, which is a way that you can support me as I do this podcast. Um, you may or may not know that I don't make money off this show, and I have to pay money for the engineering. So uh, Patreon is just a way to pay like a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars a month to help with the production costs. So um, also, I give you a free piece of art every month if you're a donator. So uh, hop on over to the uh, marriedmethcom forward slash four dash one three and scroll down to the bottom and you can see how you can support me on Patreon. And if you could write a quick review, that would be awesome on iTunes. Even just adding a few stars would be great. It just helps the podcast get into the hands of more folks who need to hear these powerful stories. And if you want to be on the Restory Show and share your own four-minute story, go to marriedemuth.com and there's a little microphone and click it and then share your story for four minutes and I'll tack it on to the end of one of our episodes. So today, I am welcoming the amazing Ruth Chow Simons. She is the author of a new book, and I'll talk. she'll talk a little bit about that as we talk, but it's beautiful. It's put out by Harvest House, and she runs a ministry called Grace Laced, and she has this amazing art that she does. And so I'm just really excited to welcome Ruth to the podcast today. Hey, everyone. It's Mary Demuth with The Restory Show, and I am so excited to have Ruth Jo Simons with me today. And Ruth, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Love to be here. And so um, give us, uh, the listeners, a little bit about your origin story, like where you grew up and how you met Christ and how you met your husband and all that kind of stuff. Sure, sure. I was born in Taiwan and moved to the U.S. when I was three. And as an immigrant family, we learned English and uh, found our way to New Mexico because we had a family member um, working as a scientist here in Los Alamos. And interestingly, uh, we were a very independent, um, like a follow the American dream kind of immigrant family wanting to just pave our own way. And my parents worked hard, learned the language. Somewhere when I was in middle school, my brother ended up with a really rare hip disease that just threw our whole family in a loop where I think for the first time ever, my very, very strongly independent trailblazing parents realized that they could not control everything in life. They could not control their destiny. And that ultimately it broke them. It caused them to say they were they were receptive to the gospel. And so from there, slowly our whole family was discipled and became 
um, followers of Christ. And I don't think I fully understood truly the grace of God. I mean, I, I think in eighth grade, I made a genuine profession of faith. And of course, as these things go, I really grew in that faith. And by college, I truly, truly understood the gravity of my sin and the, and the wonder of the cross. And, and so college was when I was really able to live out that faith and really understand what the gospel meant in my life more than just the simplicity of surrendering to Christ. And so, so yes, I've been walking with the Lord and, and yes, I, I'm grateful to be using my art and my writing giftings now, but I definitely was kind of went down the path of being your, um, typical Chinese American student where I, you know, got straight A's, got into Berkeley early and, uh, was going biochem all the way. But it's interesting, you know, the story is probably a little longer than we would have time for here today, but just one where um, the Lord certainly helped me change my heart from living for myself and living, kind of proving something to surrendering and saying, you know, there's no life that you can get out of trying to elevate yourself to the max. And so ultimately, um, a lot of the things that I was pursuing were really things that I was doing out of pride and fear of not succeeding. And so ultimately, I, I kind of went a direction that was more in line with my love and my interests in art versus uh, my what I felt like were my obligations to science and um, in math and stuff. So it's interesting you said that because when I was in college, I was, I started off as a math major and I like math. Did you? Yeah. yeah I mean, it's like there's yeah. an answer to a, to a problem and there was something very mathematical and logistical about it. And about halfway through, I, I thought, I cannot do one more math problem. <laughs> it's just not creative. <laughs> so then I became an English major. So I was like, okay, this is more like me. But so you uh, also, when did you meet your husband and when did you get married? Yeah. So I started off out in California, was at Berkeley, as was at Westmont College. And then um, my parents, who then had gone to seminary, went back to pastor a church in New Mexico. And I um, do do a lot of different things. I ended up just um, deciding to move back with them and staying close to home and help them with the youth ministry at the church and became part of uh, the Baptist Student Union at University of New Mexico. And that's where I met, met my husband, who um, his name is Troy. And I still remember that, you know, in college, you're really just kind of finding who is interested in the same things you are, who might, you know, be fun to hang out with. And he and I are opposites in a lot of ways. Um, when I first met him, he, he was kind of like cowboy meets motorcycle guy, you know, like kind of long hair, <laughs> just real independent, like always up the mountain, like just wild guy, you know, and, and I was kind of like ready to be that valedictorian, straight A, goody two shoes, like going to do things the right way. And really all that was just on the surface. I mean, there was a lot of rebellion on my, in my heart, but you know, when I just remember we were at an event and, um, in college, you play silly games and, and one of the group events games was, um, a game called I'll never. And it was kind of like going around saying, I'll never bungee jump or I'll never eat snails or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And, And, um, it was just funny because at one moment he just said, when it came to him, he just says, you know, I'll never, or I genuinely hope that I'll never deny Christ. Hmm. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's heavy for a party. You know, I kind of <laughs> felt like at first it was like, oh, that's weird. But as it sunk in, I, there was just a depth to him and just a sincerity and not even, it wasn't showy. It was just really like he, he was a thinker and he was somebody who, and he still is. And so 
our, um, we got married um, right after college. I was 22, uh, turning 23. And then soon right after that, we went in, we went to seminary at what now is called Gateway Seminary, I believe, but at the time it was Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary in Northern California. So yes, we've been married 19 years now, 19 years this last summer, coming up on 20. And um, it's been quite the journey. I could probably go on and on about all the things that I didn't think marriage would re- require of me. But so, all of us, <laughs> we all could say that. <laughs> we all could say that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I know we talked a little bit before the show uh, started recording, and this kind of segues beautifully into what you want to share. So uh, tell us the, sh- the story that's on your heart that you want to share today. When my husband and I met, I was the girl that was like, you can come with me if you want, but I'm going to do something big with my life. I, I thought that's either going to be I'm going to go off to China and I speak Mandarin because, you know, I was born in Taiwan and I'm either going to be on mission for the Lord and I'm going to preach to the ends of the earth. And, you know, if we don't get married and you, you're not ready for that, fine, you stay, I'm going. Like I was kind of like, I'm just going to go and I'm going to do something big. There were on some days it was that on some days it was, I'm going to go to RISD and be a, a very, very famous artist and be in galleries and be a fine artist that's, that's, um, showing in museums across the world or some version of these big dreams and never in that dream and never in that just because of the way I was raised or the way I thought of my own abilities. Never did that include changing diapers. Like it just really was not <laughs> part of the equation in my mind. Like I, I remember we went and um, registered for gifts. And I know anyone who follows me now probably would be slightly surprised about that because in my blog that's been around for 10 years has all these recipes on it, has a lot of home things. And um, But when we first got married, my husband walked around with this little, the little clicker thing to help us register for gifts. And I was like, I don't want any of this stuff. I remember literally now, I mean, I kick myself now, right? Now I'm like, what? I didn't register for three sets of dishes. Come on, you know? But at the time I was like, why? Why do I need dishes? Because I wasn't thinking about hospitality. Why did I need all these nice linens or towels? And I just, I wasn't home. I wasn't, my mind wasn't at home. My mind was like, get out there, go rock the world, go change the world go use your gifts and make something of yourself. And home just felt way too quiet of a place to do that. Folding nice towels that you register for was like the opposite of what I wanted. So I went kicking and screaming through our registry. We got married, (laughs) got some nice gifts. I remember getting a nice tea maker and I was like, what? Like, what's, what's the point of this? You know, and it was just such a different time in my life. And, and, you know, even when we went to seminary kind of was, I was in seminary myself, just was kind of always just running my own thing. And I didn't get, and this is where it comes in. I really just didn't even get marriage like I should have. I didn't see us as, as working together. And, um, I won't fill in all the details, but fast forward a few years and the Lord actually for a lot of reasons that had to mostly to do with this one simple moment where Troy said, Ruth, if we're going to go be missionaries overseas, and Paul says that, um, the Apostle Paul says that Christ in the church is really displayed in our relationship, husband and wife, then I'm a little bit concerned about us going overseas full time as being the frontline example of how someone can know the beauty of Christ in the church when we are not beautiful right now. Like our relationship wasn't, wasn't solid and, and, and secure and sure. We were constantly 
intention. And, um, and so he pulled us out of seminary. We didn't go overseas and we went to a small town in Colorado. He worked for his brother, um, running, managing a mattress store and I worked retail and it was literally not where I expected to be. You know, Mm -hmm. it, it was like, um, you know, we bought a tiny little house and fixed it up some fast forward you know, the Lord began changing my heart a little bit, but you know, as young couples do, you get pregnant and you have a little one. And I did find motherhood wonderful and more special than I ever expected. I, because prior to that, we had babysat for friends and, um, I'll just say, share the story real quick, but we, we walked in to babysit friends as 20 some year olds and the, the mom handed me their new baby because you hand it to the, the girl. young wife. Yeah. And I, and yeah. And I just held that baby and said, Troy, I have no idea what to do with this, <laughs> this baby. And I handed it to him and he actually held the baby for the rest of the, the night, which I only share that to say, I just had no maternal instinct. I had no, not no, but, but just was, did not, was not raised babysitting, did not help a lot with VBS, did not change lots of diapers, did not feel equipped. And so motherhood hit me in a way that was so, so difficult. It just, you know, and, and as things go, sometimes you think, well, you know, we need another one because our oldest Caleb needs a friend and <laughs> kind of thought if it's a boy and a girl, then we'll be done. <laughs> well, I won't fill in the next 10 years, but basically, <laughs> I mean, how can I tell this story fast? I don't know. I mean, I don't know no, you don't have to tell it fast. Say, I, it's good. Except to say, except to say it was a little bit of part way, a desire to, it was a desire to see what the Lord had in store for our family, not specifically necessarily like we will keep trying until we have a girl. It was not that specifically, but it was certainly like a, wow, we are falling in love with being parents. And what does this look like? However, we certainly did not expect to have six boys. And so within (laughs) the same 10 years, we had, we became parents to six boys. We started a church and started a school and really, um, that's a lot of babies to have in one, in one decade. And it stretched us. It was hard, but I, I share, I think the story that I want to share out of the, this whole thing is that I don't want to say six boys happened to me because certainly we prayed about it and it was something that we obviously intentionally allowed the Lord to move in our lives. But even as our family was growing, I had lots of moments of just saying, this isn't possibly me. Like I'm the girl who doesn't know how to be a mom. I don't even like, I never even planned on doing this. And I wasn't painting during that time. I wasn't writing a lot. I think I was, uh, I had started a blog 10 years ago and finding time during nap times or in the evenings, but it certainly wasn't like a business. I wasn't making money from it all and all in all. It felt like every dream that I thought I had originally died and all my registering for towels like came alive, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> just all the, the, all, all of that, like, um, domestic stuff just came full circle. And it wasn't that my heart was like bursting with desire. It was more that I saw that the Lord was giving that for me to do because my husband was a pastor. My husband was a headmaster and I really had a role that was supportive and I had a role that was really to keep our home joyful, to raise our young kids. And there was a fight there. And I, and I don't, I don't want to paint this big, beautiful, rosy color over that whole thing, because it certainly was a warring inside of me for a while where I thought, Lord, why did you give me a desire to go to the ends of the earth if I wasn't going to 
get to? Why am I, why do I even speak another language if I'm not going to go run all across the countryside in China sharing, you know, with anyone who would hear? Or why do I know how to paint if I don't even have a minute to get my brushes out? Why do I write if, if the only thing I ever write is to fill out forms for doctor's appointments and things like that? And, and there was a season where I certainly felt that loss and, I even think I probably struggled with some bitterness and some confusion. And I think that's where it's really come full circle for me because it wasn't like this. It certainly was not a God speaking through a light beam coming down or through in the shower or something audible. It happened moment by moment, little by little. It was a pressing in. It was a persevering change. And the, the change in the story for me happened as the Lord changed my heart. And ultimately, I think what I discovered was that mission field I so wanted to be a part of. Ultimately, I saw the ends of the earth starting at my kitchen table. It made me realize how much those children sitting right before me, as much as it didn't feel like this wonderful mission field to pick up Cheerios and to share once again why you don't hit one another or to memorize a scripture together and to sing a, a Sunday school song together. That seemed so less glamorous and wonderful than to use my life somewhere, you know, far, far away the way I expected. But, you know, I think the Lord really was changing my heart to realize like what influence I had in the day to day. And then ultimately, um, you know, I think I learned a lot about seasons, which is why, you know, the book recently has taken the form that it has, but just that seasons, not just in a cliche kind of way, like, oh, seasons change. Yes, seasons change. And you can personally stay right where you are and circumstances can change and you could just be bitter and just kind of ground yourself and say, I will never get over this. Or you can say, wow, this season clearly is one where I'm waiting. I don't get to, I don't get to see a bunch of blooms. I'm not going to see everything burst into full color in my life. This might be a season of deep roots. And then there are other seasons where whatever, for whatever reason, there are opportunities that open up and all of a sudden you get to use your painting. You get to use your writing. It might come in small spurts. It come, might come in, you know, big forms. And then for me, it started small. It started with a baby on my lap and me saying, Hey, I have older kids now who can help with other things. I'm going to paint a little bit. And now years later, it's become a full-time um, business and ministry that I, I get to use now. But, but it's been a good 15 years from when I really wanted to use those gifts and saw the, them completely unused in the way that I thought. And um, being, you know, when I was first a mom, there wasn't even social media. So it wasn't even like connecting with people in that sense. It was truly a living behind the scenes, ministering at a kitchen table that nobody ever got to see or speaking things that never got put into print. And so I think those hidden years were years where the Lord truly encouraged and met me there so that later on when opportunities arose, I was able to really say, okay, He's the same God that met me there when I felt like none of those things were coming to fruition the way I expected. And so I can trust him even when doors open, just as, in the same way as 
when doors are closing. So, you know, that's a roundabout way of sharing a, a long 10-year 10 10-year 10 journey. And I know that that's not quite a story that's as tidy and easy to sum up, but um, it really is a testimony to when a woman who in her youth has no aspirations to work in the home, to change diapers, to even give her life over to a bunch of rambunctious little boys and to play a, a supporting role to her husband. Honestly, I was opposite of all those things that the Lord can change your heart and not not simply just change my heart to say, oh, my day is coming. I actually had no promise of my day is coming. I just had a simple, a simple promise that he is faithful right where I am. And I got to simply see that more than him changing the circumstances, he was changing my heart because I simply said, I can't do this. I can't love my husband well. I can't be a supporting role. I can't be a mom to these six boys unless you change my heart. And the Lord is faithful to do that for his glory and for our good as well. And so years later, when things came full circle and I was able to use some of those gifts, it's been just a sweet, sweet blessing. I uh, often get the question, and I'm sure that you do now as an artist who is known on the internets and on Instagram, but I often get the question, you know, okay, tell me the story of when you got your agent, you got your first book contract. And I, I don't really like telling that story because I think it gives false hope because my journey was at least 10 years of being home with my kids and writing in obscurity and writing miles of unpublished words. And I was apprenticing. And I think we're losing that today in our instant culture that we have, especially now in the media that we have now, everyone can be famous. They can all be the stars of their own show. Exactly. And they, a lot of people get frustrated if their dream isn't realized in a moment. And so this long obedience in the same direction is not a popular message, but it's absolutely necessary for our spiritual growth. And so I just thank Mm -hmm. you so much for sharing that part of the story. It's the unglamorous side of God grabbing your attention and you dying to self, which is the most profitable part of the kingdom. As you, you know, get into those flourishing stages of spring and summer, it's those roots. Cause if you, you know, the scripture says that that seed thrown among the thorns or the seed uh, that doesn't, that has a shallow root doesn't, doesn't grow. But the society we live in tends to be so instantaneous that we forget that this is actually a beautiful journey. So thank you for that. And there's obviously so many, there are so many parallels to growing seasons or plant life or things like that. But the fact is, you know, in our spiritual life, just like we will not be strong simply by being like, you know, I haven't read my Bible in years, but today, you know, I'm going to just read my Bible all day today. And therefore I will like make up for it all and I'll be so (laughs) strong. Well, that, that big spurt is awesome. Like read your Bible today. Mm -hmm. That's, that's amazing. But it really is that steady, that steady trickle, that steady investment, not even a steady investment as in I do three hour Bible studies every day. It's the steady investment of, I choose to keep my eyes on Christ today, again, today, and then again today. And every day is a new today. And I think that that's what we forget sometimes is that we kind of look at, again, like you said, like we look at success stories or we look at how, you know, most 24-year-olds these days can put up a few pretty pictures and have a gazillion thousand followers right away. And we think, oh, there's a way, there's a formula to doing it. And I subscribe fully to the reality that you can be super, super faithful and 
put out good content every single day of your whole life, it may or may not be used in the way that you desire. And somebody could put out really bad content and, you know, be a rock star, right? And so you, there's no formula to that. But for us reflecting the image of Christ and for us living out our purpose to glorify him, that's where we, that's where our paradigm is shaped, right? Our paradigm therefore is shaped to say every day, I just simply say, I have to only do what he's called me to do. And I can only reflect him better today than I did yesterday. And so that is a daily choice. That is a persistence day by day by day. And it's, it's a hard choice. It's a, it's hard work because if we could all just run a sprint and literally just say, I'm going to give it my all for the next five days and expect great results, that that's when you have really, really shallow roots. You might have a lot of blooms on top, but it, it passes so quickly. But those deep roots really do happen day after day after day. And I think I do get asked sometimes about how I stay focused these days. And I I would just say um, that I could not do what I'm doing right now in my early 20s because I think I would have put too much of my self-worth into it. And I think I would have been way too tender comparing all the time. So really, really sensitive to what other people think of me. Not that I don't struggle with that now. I still do sometimes, but that ultimately the content and why I choose to use social media media as content-based is ultimately because that's all I really have to offer. All I really have to offer is the work that God's done in my life in all the years that nobody, you know, saw my writing or heard anything. And that content informs who I am today. So that's, you know, everybody has to have a mission statement for what they use their platform for. And ultimately for me, it's, it's content-based because of, because of all those years that he was faithful. Yes, exactly. And I think we're, as I said before, I think we do want that instant gratification and we, we want, I, I, that's one of the things I say when I talk to writers, I, I say, just be really careful about gurus because they tend to tell you a formula about how to succeed in this business. And we leave out the Holy Spirit and his leading and his guidance. And I think that's to our detriment. And I also am so grateful too, that my first book didn't, you know, fly off the shelves. And, uh, you know, what would I have become? I just thank the Lord all the time that I didn't have early success, because that would have been bad for my soul. And uh, I think all of us can, we all want the success. We want that accolade and, and the feeling that that generates. But there's also something really beautiful that happens when you paint the next picture and you paint the next picture. Tell us a little bit about your story of this book. Like it started actually with you just painting pictures. And tell us kind of how this all came about. Well, um, you know, actually, I think I was first known for blogging, and I don't think people even knew that I was a painter because I really didn't have time to do much art, and I would just do it occasionally. But years later, um, Instagram became a thing, and I remember when I first started Instagram, I thought to myself, well, here's a platform that uh, – because I was on Facebook already sharing links and doing all the things that bloggers do to share their posts. And But when Instagram came around, it really just was a sweet – new platform for me because it was visually based and as an artist and as somebody who really saw through a lens of like storytelling through an image, it just truly resonated with me to have a platform where I could share an image that captured my unique lens, just the way I see it, whether it be artistic art or photography, but however I see it, but then also just a quick 
thought in a quick, quick, some, some words. And, and so years ago, um, I don't know if you remember, and I think it still goes on now, but there was like a 31 day blog link up mm-hmm, series, mm-hmm. a writing yep, challenge yep. and people would get together. And, and so I had never done one before and it was in October. And I remember, um, the Nestor hosted it back then. And so I, I joined in and I picked a topic and I thought, since I don't know if I really want to write a big full piece every single day for 31 days, I want, why don't I call it drawing close so that I made a pun on, you know, the title and I would draw something, but then really talk about drawing close to the Lord. And that way some days I could draw and some days I could write kind of thing. And, um, and because I was on Instagram, it just was the perfect platform to post some of my art and along with some words and say, Hey, you can read more over at the blog, but it just kind of, I just remember that being this, the beginning where I kind of came out and said, Hey, I actually draw and I actually paint and people responded to it. Soon after, by that November, I took out 300 bucks and made some prints and said, you know, yeah, let me let me sell a few prints because people were asking for it. And obviously, I couldn't just sell the original. So I th- said, you know, why not make some prints? And um, it just grew really, really fast. And of course, um, as it grew faster, it became a really neat opportunity to take one piece of art. And at that point, I was doing paintings that didn't have words on it, paintings with scripture on it, paintings sometimes with quotes. And a lot of times it was because people came to me with the stories of how a certain quote or a certain verse, what it meant to them. And it was a custom order that ended up becoming something that was in the shop. But um, fast forward a few years, you know, I, I went ahead and was um, was really just faithfully enjoying the process, the enjoying the process of painting and meditating on the word and allowing. I, I grew up at a time where if you were an artist it seemed like you couldn't glorify the Lord. You couldn't glorify God with art because art was secular and, and, and worship was sacred. And, um, and I'm not actually a worship artist in the sense that I don't paint live in any kind of worship full way in that sense, like as an art for worship, but I worship in the sense that I take time and meditate on the word of God while I painting. So it's not that I feel like the actual brushstrokes in themselves have any supernatural, any, I'm, I'm not, I don't necessarily subscribe to that or think that I'm doing that. It's more just that the Lord's given me something that causes me to slow down and think on it more, think more intentionally about the verses, think more intentionally about how they applied to me, think more intentionally about the imagery that goes with it. And so it was worshipful for me in that sense. And um, so I just shared a little bit about it every day on Instagram. And so years later, um, when I did meet my agent and when I did have the opportunity to speak about writing a book, certainly the first thought in publishing always is to write a trade paper. And of course it was always to like, Hey, come out with your story, come out with that thing you really care about writing. And there was quite a bit of pushback initially for the idea that I would write a full color hardback and what ultimately would be a devotional book, even though I never, I never wanted to call it a devotional book because of my preconceived ideas of what would be expected out of a devotion, a devotional. So I, um, I didn't call it that, but what I knew I wanted was a book that would be almost like, um, a book that had really impacted me at that point. It was just a small little book It's called the gospel primer by Milton Vincent. And it's small, not gosh, I don't even know who published it. It was a pretty small resource, but what I loved about it is that it was a primer on what the gospel is just in a tiny little book. It really just became a foundational, go-to for a reminder of what the gospel is. 
And so I said, why isn't there a version of this that is, yes, the gospel, but all the truths that women need to preach to themselves when they're in doubt, when they are flourishing, when they are exhausted, when they really just don't know how if they can wait any longer for God's answer. You know, whatever season that is, what are those truths that we have to preach to ourselves? Because it's not linear. Our our walk with the Lord does not, you know, we're not just like, hey, I'm I see sanctification in my life and I see fruit in my my life, and therefore you just keep going down that road. No, sometimes you see the fruit and then years another year comes along and you go, Why? Why am I feeling like I'm so I'm struggling in this area once again or whatever it is? And so it was recognizing the seasons and ultimately desiring to create a book that would be beautiful and yet not compromising on truth, which I think is difficult to find sometimes in publishing. I feel like it's either really beautiful and artistic or it's really solid in content, but sometimes there's not a marriage of the two. And so I'm really grateful that Harvest House believed in it and invested in it. And and I fought to make that my first book, which I think there was some brows raised about that because that's certainly not what people usually create as their first publication. And so anyway, um, the book walks through through the four seasons, but not, um, but, you know, metaphorically, it walks through, it starts with winter because winter is a season when we don't see anything in bloom and we wait on the Lord and we wait and the soil might be hard and it might be hard to cultivate anything in winter. And that is the season that I've described as when we need to rest in this character. And I really f- wanted to start there because I don't think that the, anything, there's no, um, faithful obedience or any right thinking that we can do or walk in apart from starting with the character of God. If we don't know who he is, nothing he says about how we can obey or believe will make sense, right? So we start with resting in his character. Spring, when we want to see new buds form, is when we rehearse the truth because you can't grow unless you rehearse the truth of your identity in Christ and who he says you are. And then once you've rested in his character and rehearse the truth of who you are in Christ is when you can really respond to those truths and respond in faith. And that's the season of obedience and fruitfulness and seeing the actual fruit of following through, following through in what you believe. And a lot of times, as we know, when we serve and we act in obedience and we faithfully minister, we find ourselves worn out and sometimes really spent. And so fall is a time when we gather um, gather up all the harvest and yet and and maybe cut things down that are spent and ultimately say, how does he provide? Let's take inventory and remember his provisions. So those are the four seasons of the book. And my desire is um, there are many ways to use the book. You can obviously read it through in a month. You can read it through as a family and perennially, or it can be one where you visit it as you um, you think on whatever season you're in. But either way, it's meant to really direct our attention to the, the truth in the scriptures and not as a devotional as an end to itself. And it really is meant to not just be the answer, but to be the springboard for the wealth of truth and anchoring that we have from God's word. Hmm. Well, I have a copy of it and I'm so appreciating it. And as a fledgling artist, I'm enjoying just watching and looking at the beautiful illustrations and all of that. So it's been a blessing. And I guess I'll, I'll finish with a couple of questions. My same questions I ask everyone is, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's in that waiting period, you know, or that place like where you were with you know, one, two or three boys when three more were going to come. And, 
you didn't see how you were going to be, you know, fulfilling this artistic part of you, what kind of advice would you give someone in that place? Well, I think two things that I go to each time, because I think even now with some dreams realized, I have some other things that are not realized in my life. So I still have to practice this, but I think, you know, one practical advice is to, like Elizabeth Elliot says about doing the next thing, you know, doing really be obedient in just the next thing that you can be obedient in rather than getting so overwhelmed at what your whole life story is and trying to say, Lord, show me right now how you're going to write my entire story. Simply say, wow, the Lord is writing my story right now, today, in the next minute. And if the next minute calls me to just trust him and speak with patience with my child, then do that thing first, rather than say, how are you going to take me to the ends of the earth? How are you going to give me a platform? How are you going to redeem these things that I feel like I've lost? No, the next minute, if the next minute means be joyful in doing your dishes, then just, just do that first. Because simple things, simple acts of obedience are great in the eyes of the Lord. And he gives us more as as we embrace the little things that he gives us and do it unto him. And so I think that's my first word of advice that I even apply even now, even now that I feel like I am walking in a very public and visible um, platform that feels and seems really used of the Lord. There are areas in my life that I still have to say, I don't know what the fruit is of this particular area, but I'm going to do the next right thing in this area. And I'm going to just say, Lord, you're providing for this next moment. And I, I have a choice in this next moment, whether to believe you or to test you in this, but instead I'm going to believe you and walk in it and walk in faith. And so, so that's one thing. And the other thing I would just say is, I don't know if anybody else struggles with this, but sometimes when I feel like the Lord's not answering me in something, or I feel kind of alone in my season or feel lost in my season, I distance myself from the Lord. I kind of say to myself, oh, I'm not going to come to him. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm even going to come to him with. I don't want to open my Bible until I'm more, I have more faith or I feel like I've cleaned myself up better or until he answers me because I'm kind of bitter right now. Whatever it is, we distance ourselves and we kind of say, I'll, I'll wait to get my myself right with the Lord later on. And we don't realize that because of the blood of Christ, there is no, nothing standing in your way. You simply come. You simply say, I believe that the blood of Christ is not for, is not in vain. He paved the blood, makes it possible for me to walk right in and say, I'm lost. I'm lonely. I'm confused. I have no idea what my life's about. I don't know why I keep losing my temper. I don't know why I, I, I struggle so much to be obedient. Lord, help me, change me because I don't want to be who I used to be. And, um, and I would just say my word of advice is don't wait until your dreams come true to come and acknowledge to the Lord that, that he is good and that you need him. Trust him now, like go to him with all the stuff that you don't have answers for. Go to him now and crack open your Bible now. And don't make that the thing that you go to. Don't make the scriptures, the, the, the resource you go to when you're trying to find God's will for your life and you're trying to find a particular verse or go to him just to say, you know, I want to apply this specifically. Go to him because it's, it's a daily investment because you want to know him more. So that, that would be my two areas of practical advice, I suppose. 
Well, you're speaking them right to me, so thank you. <laughs> and uh, so in the looking back over the past year, you've had a lot of things happen, but how has God restoried you in this past year? You know, our family went through a loss, a really deep loss um, that I won't share here, but we went through a really deep loss that hurt and that involved people we cared greatly for. And it was a big learning experience for everyone involved. And with that loss, I think sometimes you think, you only think about how something is ending in your life. You can only say loss, 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 end, end, end. (laughs) And you can only, within view, sometimes only see the tragedy of something. But I think the way the Lord has restored me in a really personal way is to really tell the story of my soul that he, that it's, that he's at work in all things, through all things, and even in the lives, he, he, he's, he wastes nothing. So I might be like, wow, how does my story turning out? But the reality is he's at work using my very intersection with other people to restore them too. And so that's where it's possible to have forgiveness. That's where it's possible to have a tenderness in your heart, not to say, oh, let's all forget all the hurts and all the the things that have gone not according to plan. It's not that those things just get brushed and brushed aside or swept under the rug, but that tenderness of heart can move in, that forgiveness of heart can move in when you realize that he can even restore the way you think of something. I'm certainly not all the way there yet. I'm certainly not perfect in that, but I've seen um, that the Lord really can reshape the way we think about loss and the way we think about pain and the way we think about justice. And so even if something doesn't go the way you think it should, even if it if it doesn't come out and doesn't turn out the way you think it ought or that you feel like you get the short end of the stick in whatever situation it is in your life, you realize that God is not at work only in your life, He's at work in each person's life and that he is, he doesn't waste anything. He has the way, he has a way to orchestrate it all for his glory and our good and our good is collective, not just for me, but for each person that is involved in, in whatever loss in, in your life. And so all that to say, I guess the restoring for me is that I do see the great joy and the successes of having launched a book having grown um, in my business, but the Lord saw fit to let that great joy happen simultaneous with a really great loss. And so I just bring that up to say, you know, it might be public. My life publicly shows only the great joys and the great gains and the great successes because we can't share every part of our lives. But behind the scenes, there's great loss in my life as well. And the Lord I know in my own story is that he saw fit in his sovereignty and kindness to give me the most excruciating loss at the same time he was giving me the most, you know, fragrant of blooms. And for me, that was because it was merciful in my life to help me see that he was, he's the God that he's the Lord that blesses and takes, takes away. Blessed be in the name of the Lord, right? So at the end of the day, I needed to know that because if he gave me great gain and I was unaware of all the ways in which he works, I might have been tempted to see it only one way. But now I can say 
it's up to him. It's all his. It's not mine. The book is not mine. And all these other things that I thought, you know, were mine to control, they're not mine. They're all his. He gets to do what he will with it. So great gain, great loss. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? And so I think that's a, you, I would like to say that that was a part of my story that I really understood before because obviously it's not like the first time I've lost something, but um, I think it hit me harder this time as an adult than it has in seasons before. And I'm really grateful. I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for the lesson learned that um, I need to praise and rejoice when a great fuss is made out of a great gain in my life. And I need to praise and rejoice when behind closed doors, I'm crying tears of loss as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So good. Thank you so much, Ruth. I know that a lot of what you said and everything of what you said, because it's centering around Jesus, is going to be blessing people when they listen to this episode. So thank you for sharing your story today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mary. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Jesus, I pray for those folks who have this amazing artistic or creative bent inside of them, and they're just longing for it to be released. So I pray for release, Lord. And Lord, thank you that we don't need permission to start doing art or start doing our dreams. We can just do it. I pray you give us boldness and honesty and the wherewithal to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I thank you for Ruth's story today. I pray for her. I pray for the success of this book. And I pray that you would bless her with peace and patience as she goes on this journey. And Lord, I pray for the person who's struggling today. Um, Would you just be near in the dark places? Would you shed a light on some of those dark places? And would you let my friend know that he or she is not alone, that you are there and that you want to walk alongside. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for your companionship today, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. So if you'd like a little more information about today's show, head on over to marydemuth.com forward slash four dash 13. This is the 13th episode of season four. And may you live a brand new story 